You're clocked out. We're locked in. You're listening to Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome into a Monday edition of Crunch Time right here on the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Matt Miguez here. The game hotline is 337-706-0111. We're broadcasting live from the FCO Development Studios here in Upper Lafayette. FCO Development is a civil construction company that specializes in new multifamily construction. The NCAA softball tournament was announced last night, and there was a bit of a shock concerning the Louisiana Raging Cajuns. We'll get into that, where they're headed, who they're playing against. We'll also talk about LSU and McNeese's regionals. Spoiler alert, LSU and the Cajuns, both going to be in Baton Rouge. Again, we'll, we'll dive deep into all of that throughout today's show. Jason Tatum absolutely delivered. A Game 7 for the ages. Yesterday afternoon against the Philadelphia 76ers as the Celtics move on. We'll talk about that. Plus, the Saints hosted minicamp over the weekend. We'll get into that as well. My producer and co-host is Mr. James Mesh. James, good afternoon, sir. How are you? I'm doing absolutely fine on this Monday, Matt. How about you? Yeah, you should be. You should be. <laughs> oh, man. What a game. Look, we, we, we talked the other day about Jason Tatum not being his self throughout this entire series. Kind of felt like he's been a little bit off this whole playoffs. And you knew that in order for them to win a game seven, he had to be better. Right. And he delivered. God, he delivered. The most points ever scored in a game seven. 51 points from Jason Tatum. As the Celtics take down the 76ers in seven games, 112 to 88. Again, 51 points, 13 rebounds from Jason Tatum. The third quarter to me was that moment where I said, Oh God, that's how this is gonna go. Yeah, they they really went cold, but I mean we're going to get more into that later in the show, but the big news really locally is the softball regionals, and you'd alluded to it. LSU and the Cajuns going to be in BR, but then McNeese softball, boy, are they traveling, huh? Heading all the way to Seattle. They had to travel last year, too. They went to Evanston last year. But it's like, man, tra- traveling well, far distances, man. It, 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 that, it's a brutal travel but it's a good regional for them. Mm-hmm. I think that is a regional that McNeese can win because keep in mind, they've beaten Washington already this year. Yeah, they played them earlier, really early in the season. You're going to be matched up with Minnesota. You're going to be matched up with Northern Colorado at some point. But you know what it takes to beat Washington. And then, say you get out of that regional. And say either LSU or UL gets out of the Baton Rouge Regional. Then you've got an in-state super between two really good in-state teams, no matter which way you slice it. 
But, you know, looking at the Baton Rouge Regional, LSU gets to host as the number 10 national seed. Uh, the two seed will be the Louisiana Raging Cajuns. The three seed, Omaha University. And then the four seed out of the SWAC conference, Prairie View A&M. Look, I'm, I'm going to be honest. I think both teams got slighted here. I think LSU and Louisiana both got wronged here. Because when you look at the Cajuns' resume, 46-13 and 13 with an RPI ranked 11th, you had the 15th overall strength of schedule. You had the number three non-conference strength of schedule. And I know a big factor of it was the fact that they went 2-10 and 10 against teams in the top 25. Three of those games, though, were one-run losses. To me, and maybe I'm being a little too giving here, but to me, one-run losses to top 25 opponents should count for something. That should warrant you something. Especially against the teams that you lost to. You lost to UCLA. You lost to Arkansas. Like those aren't those aren't scrubs. UCLA is the number two national seed. Arkansas is the number eleven national seed. Like like those aren't just you know bottom of the barrel bad losses. Now I I will agree that if the Cajuns would have won maybe one of those two games, it'd be a much different story. But that's not the way the committee saw it. They obviously looked to go regional here and put two Louisiana schools in Baton Rouge, which is fine because when you look at it from the grand scheme of things for the Cajuns, and I'm going to get to LSU in a second, but for the Cajuns, and Carly Heath said this yesterday, James, I don't know that the Cajuns could have had an easier draw. Because let's look at it. They're going to play Omaha on Friday. Now, Omaha's got a really good pitcher. She's currently fifth in the nation in strikeouts. And then you're going to play the winner of LSU and Prairie View A&M. You've already beaten LSU this year. I don't know a whole hell of a lot about Prairie View A&M, but they, they don't exactly worry me. It's a winnable regional for the Cajuns. And then you're partnered with the Seattle regional. I think any team that comes out of that regional, the Cajuns could beat in a super. So this is not a impossible road to Oklahoma City for the Cajuns. In fact, I think it's I think it's somewhat favorable. So look. You can have a chip on your shoulder. You can be pissed off that you didn't get a regional. That's fine. You should be. But at the same time, now it's time to go to work. Now it's time to go show the committee why they made a mistake not giving you a regional. 
and you have prime opportunities to do that in Baton Rouge. Here's the other benefit. It's 45 minutes away. Every fan that would have showed up for a home game is just going to drive over to Baton Rouge. That environment is going to be insane. Do you hear me, James? Insane. Let me hear it one more time. Insane. Okay, I got you now. Okay. Okay, cool. Glad glad we're on the same page. Now let's talk about it from LSU's perspective. Imagine being LSU, team with a number six RPI. They struggled in the SEC tournament. They lost their first game against Ole Miss. 40 and 15 on the season. And you get you find out you're going to be a national seed. Great. Excitement, happiness. You find out you're playing Prairie View A&M in the first game. You're like, we got that. That's easy. I was going to say, and I've been looking at Prairie View's schedule. Like, they've dominated Southern. They've dominated Grambling. They've handled Stephen F. Austin and even Arkansas Pine Bluff. But it's right. like... Who have they really played? None of none of the games that they really had to play against, it was good. They right. lost 11-0 to to Missouri early on on February 12th. And so... You've got Prairie View A&M, and then you find out that Omaha's going to be in, and you're like, okay, they're a pretty good team, but nobody we can't beat. And then they announce the number two seed, and it's the Cajuns. Is that not a huge slap in the face <laughs> to LSU? Look, there's LSU sitting there going, thought there was this thing as SEC bias. You're supposed to give the SEC teams the easy road. Why we got to play them? We're separated in the RPI by five. That's not fair. And obviously, you'll, you'll hear from Jerry Glasgow here in a minute after this first time out we're getting ready to take. But Jerry Glasgow said the same thing. He said, look, I think LSU, I think this hurts LSU more than it hurts us. He said they, they got wronged. And, and I don't disagree with him. Now, does both teams getting aggravated and feeling slighted make for one hell of a regional this weekend? Absolutely. That's going to be great. But for both teams, you can't let the anger and the feeling of disrespect affect your on-the-field play or your preparation in the week leading up to it. Because, especially with the competition that's in this regional and the competition that's in the other 15 regionals, one bad move can ruin you. There's no margin for error anymore. So... Some great games coming up this weekend at Tiger Park. LSU and Prairie View A&M will be at 5 o'clock on Friday. Louisiana and Omaha will start the regional at 2 o'clock on Friday afternoon. We'll dive into the other regionals throughout today's show. Justin McLeod's going to join us at 4.30. We'll talk about those regionals. Ross Jackson will join us at the top of hour number two to look at Saints rookie minicamp. Who stood out? Who impressed? We'll also get to some of the signings of the day. And tons more. 
Your calls on the game hotline, 337-706-0111. We'll take a timeout when we return. Hear from Jerry Glasgow. Plus, what the hell happened at Alex Box Stadium this weekend? We'll do that next right here on the game. This is Crunch Time on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Riding coasters, live music, and fried fair food. That's right. The Cajun Heartland State Fair is back. And the game 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles is giving away family packs of ride tickets. Just text CHSF to 337-283-8100 for a chance to win a family pack of tickets. 80 tickets to the Cajun Heartland State Fair at the Cajun Dome May 25th to June 4th. Brought to you by the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Got something to say to Miguez and Mesh? Hell yeah! It's easy. Just call the hotline by dialing 337-706-0111. Now back to more Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh. Here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Crunch Time. Matt Miguez, James Mesh, 418. The game hotline is 337-706-0111. Let's backtrack to Saturday as the Louisiana Raging Cajuns took down Marshall one to nothing to capture their 18th Sunbelt Conference Tournament Championship. Sam Landry was terrific. She went seven innings, gave up one hit, struck out 11 Lauren Allred gets a solo shot in the fourth inning, and that would be the difference makers in that game. After the win, head coach Jerry Glasgow gave his thoughts on his team's performance in the Sunbelt Conference Championship game. For our team, just really proud. It's been a long year. Any college season, it's it's long, and it's an endurance race, and you have to make a lot of sacrifices individually as a team. And everybody in our dugout has made sacrifices at some point in the season. You know, we got some really key players, really good players, taking roles, uh, specialist roles to help us be better in a big moment. And sacrifice of all those kids is so important. So I want to congratulate the, uh, our team and thank our team for making those uh, sacrifices throughout the year. Um, as far as the game today, I thought the, the uh, Lauren on my left and Sam on my right, I thought they were outstanding. Um, you know, Lauren, early in the year, we called her Lucky Lauren. Lucky Lauren, is she, is she lucky? Because I'd say, is she lucky? Is she that good? Because it was so, her impact was so immediate and so tremendous. You know, you're, is it going to be just that kid that has that two-week spell and she's red hot and then, and she's never, and then, then it's like, we Lucky Lauren, Lucky Lauren, they going away. Lucky Lauren's here to stay. And today was a, she had a really hard hit ball to left field and then the home run off the scoreboard was tremendous. Jerry Glasgow also talked about the performance of Sam Landry and the relationship that he has with his sophomore pitcher. Sam's, uh, Sam's uh, been so special to my wife and I. Anyway, you go through that recruitment process from 7th grade, 8th grade, she committed to us. She could have went anywhere in the country. She could have went UCLA. She could have went anywhere. Anywhere she wanted to go, she could have went. She stayed with Louisiana and Jerry Glasgow, and she made the commitment. You know, she wears my daughter's number. Um, 
she's just made every sacrifice to be here with, with me, take care of me, and and we've been growing like patiently. I've been patient. I don't want to be too fast, too fast. And I, you know, I've had people text and they call and like, hey, don't pull her out in the sixth inning. Let her grow up. Let her grow up. And I'm like, hey, she's a sophomore. She'll grow up fast enough. There's a time for her to grow up. And and when that time comes, believe me, we're going to have her ready, and we're not taking any chances in between. So today for me as a coach was really rewarding. I knew it was that moment. I got to, I made it about the fourth inning. I don't care what the score is. She's not coming off that, out of that circle today because it's time. And I thought she made a huge statement to college softball, who she is. And she's done it all the right way. She's worked hard. She's been patient. She's made sacrifices senior weekend. We let the seniors pitch. She didn't say one word. She's been, just been a great teammate. She's a tremendous person. And uh, as good a pitcher as she is, I feel like she's even better a person. And it's personal for me, you know, and her development's personal for me. Fast forward to Sunday after the selection show when you found out that Louisiana was headed to Baton Rouge in the LSU Regional. Jerry Glasgow said that it's going to be a great atmosphere this weekend in Baton Rouge. Well, they been they saw the you know extra inning softball, D one softball, softball America. Everybody had them hosting, so they thought they had earned the right to host. But you know, it's it's it. there's probably 20, 22 teams. There's a lot of parity between ten and twenty two in those last six spots. I think it was probably hard for the committee that I'm excited about. I think it's great, and they are too. They know they know the path in front of us is really, you know, if you got 16, you got to go to Oklahoma. If you got uh, the path we've got, you've got to go to LSU with Omaha. And then if you get through that, you got to go to Washington. And so it's a good path um, to go to if you're us. And, and, and you know what, if you're not at home, it's as close to being a home field as you can be. And we'll have, there'll be as many red shirts as there are uh, purple over there it's going to be a really good atmosphere he also talked about his message to the team because the team was visibly upset after the the regional announcement because like he said they were they were expecting to host so following the selection show what was your message to the team uh, you know you know it's okay to be disappointed you you've worked all year you work all year you play a schedule that when you get the number when the computer says you're number 11 you know you, you don't expect the that there to be, you know, there possibly could be a differential between where you're seated and where the where the RPI is. But maybe you don't expect to go all the way into the 20s from 11. So it's just it's okay. Be disappointed tonight. That's fine. But come out in the morning with a war. Make it a war. Understand it's a regional. You can win. Understand that our expectations to go over there and and win. And. Uh, Bring everything you got to practice this week. Let's switch over to baseball now, James, and we'll we'll start with LSU. Uh, you know, you you hosted Mississippi State, a team that has had their struggles this season, in, in especially in SEC play, coming in with a record of six and eighteen. Friday night. Goes very well. Paul Skeens was dominant once again. You win twelve to one in seven innings. You come back on Saturday, and this is when things got a little hazy. You give up seven runs in the final two innings, and you lose nine to four. 
Now, some people will look at that game and go, look, you know, things happen. Maybe one pitcher just had a really bad game. Maybe they just got a little lucky off of you. Yada, yada, yada. You know, it's baseball. Things happen, right? Well, then, then, then Sunday happens. And Sunday, you had a 13-4 to lead after the fifth inning. Then you give up 10 runs in the final five innings without scoring a run yourself, and you lose 14-13. to That can't happen. Point blank, no question about it. What happened this weekend at Alex Box Stadium cannot happen ever again. Ever. That is how people lose their jobs. It can't happen. Because now, you know what the whole country sees? LSU has no back-end pitching. So all we have to do while the starters are in is keep it close, and then we'll just blow it open late. Let's go to the game hotline now, T. What's going on? Hey, how you doing, Matt? I'm good, man. How are you? Good. Uh, I don't have much time, so I've got two questions for you. Okay. Is, is Wes Johnson there next year, and is Jay Johnson on a short leash. I'll hang up and listen, my friend. Appreciate you, T. The Wes Johnson question is interesting. I I don't know that it that it's time to say that he's he's going to be fired. He's working with what he's got. Is Jay Johnson on a short leash? No. I don't think so at all. No. No, I don't think so. Because right before this, before all of a sudden the pitching just collapsed on itself almost, you were the number one team of the country. Let's, let, let, let's not get too hasty. They're still a top five team in college baseball. The sky is not falling if you're LSU. However, you have to figure out the bullpen. Because guess what? You've got four regular season games left. You've got McNeese tomorrow night. And then you got three games set Thursday, Friday, and Saturday with Georgia. At Georgia. At Georgia. And then you're done. Then you go to Hoover for the SEC tournament. And you know what you need in the SEC tournament? Pitching. There you go. There <laughs> it is. Pitching. And then after that, you're going to make a regional. Well, let's be honest. LSU's in. Yeah. Whether they're hosting or not, that could be up in the air if, if, if they continue to slip. They're in. James, in a regional where you could have the potential of playing four games in three days, what do you need? Hitting. Uh-huh. They've got that down, so that's fine. Fielding. They're pretty good at that, too. And, uh, I don't know, pitching. There it is. Pitching. And then in a super regional, three games in three days. What do you need? Hitting. 
fielding and uh, pitching. Pitching. Thank you. You need pitching. Figure it out. You know what you're going to get out of Paul Skeens. But guess what? Paul Skeens cannot throw for you every day. No. This is not <laughs> softball. It's just not. A pitcher can't throw 100 pitches one day and come back and throw 70 the next day. That's just not how it works in baseball. Ty Floyd has been decent at times. He's also he's, he's also throwing 100 pitches. He's up getting, and down. Getting 10 strikes. Like he's been he's been pretty nice as of late. It's just the relief pitching and the Sunday guy. Blake Money, Thatcher Hurd, Nate Ackenhausen. I don't like the fact that they're using Gavin Gidry in the reliever role. And of course, have you dealt with injuries to your pitching staff? No question. And it's clearly showing. But it's not an excuse. You've got 10 other SEC quality pitchers or that you thought were SEC quality pitchers. That you, This is what you got. You got to make do with what you got. So, Jay Johnson, Wes Johnson, Mark Wanaka, Josh Jordan need to sit in a circle and not sing Kumbaya. They need to figure out how to fix the pitching staff. Because you're running out of time, and I'm telling you right now, if this team doesn't make Omaha with the offensive production that it has had, that will be a crying shame. Dylan Cruz never making Omaha? It's not a good look. Because the way he's played in college, I know he hasn't played a second of pro baseball yet, but from what we've seen... He's going to be special. You can't waste that guy. Let's take a time out. We'll talk college softball. We'll look at the regionals next with our guy Justin McLeod from Extra Inning Softball. This is Crunch Time, live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back. 436. Matt Miguez, James Mesh, and the FCO Development Studios here in Upper Lafayette. FCO Development is a civil construction company that specializes in new multifamily construction. Call us on the game hotline 337-706-0111. Let's talk about the NCAA softball tournament with our guy Justin McLeod of Extra Inning Softball. Justin, what's going on, my man? How are you? Doing good. Doing good. Thanks for having me. Uh, question number one, how much sleep did you get last night? Well, actually, I fell asleep at my desk, so a little more than I was planning on, if we're being honest here. <laughs> All right, so let's start let, let, Let's start with the one regional that's going to get played in Louisiana. Let's look at Baton Rouge. Um, LSU getting the 10th seed, Omaha, Prairie View, A&M, and then the, the Louisiana Raging Cajuns. Question number one that I have, I, I know you spoke with the committee chair last night, um, what was what was their big reason why Louisiana didn't get a hosting spot? A lack of big wins. Um, the committee every year seems to have one major metric in the midst of all of their metrics that they rely on most heavily. And last year that was teams that had or did not have bad losses. 
This year, it was teams that did or did not have big wins. Um, and we, you know, we, some of the other pieces in the bracket, that was a factor, and that was a factor for Louisiana. Just, you know, they played LSU, had a win over LSU, played Florida, had a win over Florida, but just in the grand scheme of things, just didn't have, based on the committee's look at it in their view, didn't have enough big wins to, to get a hosting spot. Now, do you find it odd that the, the major metric changes from year to year? Yes and no. Um, they, they, they have the same set of metrics every year, so everything's kind of on the table. It's a little strange in concept that this year this thing might be looked at, and so, okay, well, let's play to that. Teams think, okay, let's play to that thing, and the next year it's something different. But at the same time, I think, too, part of that depends on how, how the game goes in the course of a year because this year, for instance, you had a lot of at-large potential teams who their strength to get into the tournament was on big wins. And I, and I say that because I think that's a larger theme. So sometimes, a lot of times, honestly, the game kind of dictates kind of what that main metric is. They still use everything, but I, I think there are a lot of times where the reason the committee uses kind of that focus metric, that's my wording, not theirs, but kind of uses that focus metric is because that the game and the results during the course of the year kind of dictated, hey, if we use this, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a guide for the majority of what we're doing. 12 bids out of the SEC in this tournament. I mean, that's just wild, Justin. It is, but also, honestly, I think you'd have softball folks who would say, oh, well, Mississippi State should have been in, and that they would be just as surprised. I don't agree, for the record, but they would be just as surprised that the SEC didn't get all 13, as some folks are that the SEC got 12 we're still kind of moving in softball towards the way, especially the men's basketball tournament has gone, which is the actual best teams get in. And it doesn't matter where they come from. It matters who they played, how they played. We're not there yet in softball. So you still see some of these power five conferences that do benefit tremendously from being in that conference. Um, But, you know, the committee has shown to starting to move away from that. And the SEC has not gotten all their teams in the last couple of years, which for a while, there was not the case. There was a period of time where the SEC, every team was in, and they knew it. Not been the case the last few years, so we're starting to see that adapt, I think. And then, you know, if you wanted to get super technical, the future members of the SEC in Oklahoma and Texas, both of them are in the NCAA tournament as well. Uh, you know, one thing that, that stuck out to me was I had kind of come to the realization that Louisiana was going to be the only Sunbelt team to make the NCAA tournament. How did Texas State get in? Well, I actually think it goes back to that big win metric because if you think about Texas State, the biggest piece of their argument is those wins over Texas and Alabama down in Austin in the early portion of the season. If big wins was the metric that the committee relied on most heavily, well, Texas State has a really good case based on their big wins. Um, I, you know, Texas State's overall results were not necessarily amazing. They had some results that kind of make you scratch your head a little bit, even for them to be considered the second-best Sunbelt team. But at the end of the day, from a big wins perspective, I think Texas State wins out in that category amongst especially their Sunbelt competitors. And so I think that was something that worked in their favor. And also, let's be honest, is it something that the committee has on the team sheets? No. But the fact that Texas State is right there in Austin or near Austin can go to Austin on a bus trip, that, that yeah. factors in still in NCAA softball. There, there's a 400-mile busing radius that the committee is supposed to abide by as much as they can. 
I have to think at some point in the room, even if it's just you know the 16th tiebreaker, that does kind of play a role. McNeese certainly won't be busing. What went into the decision to put them in Seattle? So my my thought on that is once Louisiana and the once the Raging Cages were not going to host a regional, they were obviously going to go to Baton Rouge. It's not fair to Louisiana if you were to fly them to Seattle. They're a high two seed. That Baton Rouge regional, I know a lot of Cajun fans are tired of going to Baton Rouge, but it's also every year one of the more competitive regionals. So I think once Louisiana was not going to host, they were always destined for Baton Rouge. But I do think the committee either you know, tries in the present tense or at least tried in this sense to avoid that all Louisiana regional every single year. Um, you know, last year Louisiana went to Clemson, but McNeese was in Baton Rouge. Well, this year with Louisiana going to Baton Rouge, I think the committee tries to not have that Louisiana hodgepodge altogether for whatever motives, whatever reasons. But at the same time, I think a McNeese honestly sometimes would rather go somewhere else. You look at what McNeese did when they finally got to leave Baton Rouge and go to Evanston last year. They made the regional final and crushed Notre Dame along the way. So I think that's really the biggest factor is just avoiding that you know, three Louisiana teams in the same regional who've all played each other a number of times in the regular season. Justin McLeod of Extra Innings Softball joining us here on Crunch Time. Were you surprised that the Cowgirls were given a four seed? Speaking of McNeese? Right. Well, actually, I believe there are three up in Seattle. They're going to they're play Minnesota. Oh, so they are um, the three seed. Okay. They are a three seed, yeah. Um, and and – I think actually they got pretty favorable. I think I think the committee, because of McNeese's consistency year to year, has, it sees McNeese appropriately. They play a tough schedule. They don't play everybody at home, but they do play some tough ones at home. They win the right games. I think the committee sees, especially after the last few years of consistency, I think they see McNeese pretty much like they should in, in the sense of McNeese is putting in the effort and you know they're winning the right ball games. What are some of the other regionals that that have stu- stuck out to you and why? I mean, I think obviously you have to start with Alabama as the number five seed. I don't think even people in Alabama saw that one coming. Um, and they've got Central Arkansas, which has been, you know, that, that's been one of the biggest, not necessarily the surprise teams, but the breakout teams of this season. And I think you're destined for a real, a, a really good matchup if those two teams meet once, twice, maybe three times down in Tuscaloosa. I think, too, you've got the Florida State Regional, which includes South Carolina and UCF. And, you know, there was a period of time where that could be Florida State, Florida, and UCF, which would have been kind of the Sunshine State version of what we were just talking about, the committee avoiding in Louisiana. And even with South Carolina there, they've got a pitcher, Donnie Goburn, who throws 74 and is lights out. She's had a breakout year of her own. So I think that's one that's going to be interesting. Um, And then you've got Florida going out to Stanford. Florida's never traveled for a regional. They've hosted a regional every year in the current format. And for the first time, they're going to travel and, I'm really curious what that change of scenery and what being on the road for regionals is going to do for a team that's usually, you know, usually a juggernaut. And one more question that I have when looking at this the the regional matchups is, a lot of people believed that that South Alabama maybe deserved a, a spot in the NCAA tournament. What went into Notre Dame getting in above South Alabama? So South Alabama was one of the uh, the first four teams out, so they were very clearly in that discussion up to the end. Um, I think that's probably attributable to two different things. One, you had two bids that were stolen, as we call it. Conference USA and the Big West Conference both had you know heavy favorites in their in their conference tournaments. Or well, 
It's time for USA in their conference tournament, Big West at the end of their regular season without in the absence of a tournament. And both of those heavy favorites were upset. So that took two potential spots away from what would have been at-large teams. So that's two spots that South Alabama could no longer fit into. Um, so when those spots got a little limited, I do think Notre Dame and playing in the ACC, I absolutely think that played in their favor. Um, and I think, too, South Alabama was lacking. They have a win over Auburn, but I think if big wins were the committee's go-to, I think South Alabama didn't have as many as Texas State did, for instance, and I don't think the committee was going to put three Sunbelt teams in. We saw them put four in a couple of years ago. I don't think the Sunbelt strength was to the point of putting three teams into the tournament this year. So I think not being a Power Five, I think being probably third in their conference in the metric of the big wins, and and then to just, uh, yeah, I, I think it was just one of those things where when it came down to it, there were only so many spots, and you know, South Al just it was it was a Sun Belt team, and they just just didn't they didn't have the wow factor, put it yeah. that way. And I think anytime you have a Power Five, they probably get a little extra wow. All right, Justin, this weekend, you know, are, are what regionals are you headed to? Or are you covering them all remotely? What's your weekend look like? Doing them all remotely. I'm going to have about eight screens in front of me. I'm going to have all the regionals. I'm going to have the D2 Super Regionals. And I'm going to have the NISC, which is softball's NIT, all at once. It's going to be going to be interesting. Yeah, that that's, that sounds like a wild weekend. Justin McLeod of Extra Innings Softball joining us here on Crunch Time. Justin, appreciate your time as always. Uh, in, enjoy the week. Enjoy the weekend. And uh, we'll talk to you again soon. Thanks very much. I always appreciate you guys. It's always fun. And there he goes, Justin McLeod of Extra Innings Softball. You're listening to the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Slings it far side. Stingley steps inside the receiver and picks it off. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. A shot to left field. Going back on it's Gordon. He'll look up at a goner. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Welcome back to Crunch Time, wrapping up our number one here in the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette. Evco Development is a civil construction company that specializes in new multifamily construction. Some Saints news that popped up today. The Saints have signed another wide receiver in former Pittsburgh Steeler and Dallas Cowboy James Washington. I think it's a good move. It's a solid move. I'm not very convinced that he will make the final roster cuts. Well... But I think he's a guy that could help either A.T. Perry or Brian Edwards get better and like prove their worth. Like, hey, I deserve to have a spot no. on this roster. For sure. Um, yeah, I mean, at first it's a camp body. Uh, and then if he impresses in camp and, you know, stands out, then, you know, the Saints may go from there. But for right now, I think it's a good move to bring a veteran in with a lot of new rookie wide receivers. And just kind of show those guys the ropes. Right. And he was a guy that really stood out at Oklahoma State. He had a thousand plus yards in yep. three seasons and, and had then, at least 10 touchdowns. And then that second year in Pittsburgh, where he caught 28 passes for 700 something yards. Right. I mean, solid numbers. And then also the Saints signed defensive back Adrian Fry, running back Ellis Merriweather, and then also got an XFL defensive tackle in Jack Heflin. Woo! And then they also ended up waving wide receiver Cy Barnett that they had got as an, a UDFA and then defensive back Vincent Gray, who had been there for a little minute. 
Dang. Yeah. So getting close to that ninety threshold that yep. they got that they want to get to, since that's all that they could have during training camp and stuff. But then looking at the poll question of the day, what was the biggest surprise that happened this weekend? Was it UL softball not hosting, as we've talked about pretty much throughout the first hour? Was it LSU baseball losing yet another weekend series? Was it UL baseball sweeping Texas State? Or was it the Phoenix Suns firing Monty Williams? Which that came out of left field. Look, I get a new owner wanting to put your stamp on the team and making it your own. I get that. Like, I want to go get my guy. And, and I, I get that, and I don't necessarily disagree with that move. It's just wild to think since they were in the NBA Finals they, just a couple right. of years ago. They've been successful under Monty. And then you've had some injuries with your star guys, especially this year where you go all out and go get KD, and you only had him, Chris Paul, and Devin Booker only play together for less than 20 games. Right. Yeah, so it's like you don't even know what you fully got with them. I don't I don't love that move. Um I mean again, I, I get wanting to put your own stamp on the team and that's fine. But it's it's not like the Phoenix Suns were a, a bottom of the barrel franchise. They've had success. Like you said, they were in the finals last year. They just got Kevin Durant. They made it to the second round of the playoffs this year and was very competitive in that six game series against Denver. Like I I don't know. But Monty's going to land somewhere. Oh, yeah. He's going to Mil- go somewhere. Milwaukee's pushing hard for him. So I I could see that, and I could actually see that working mm-hmm. really well uh, with, with Giannis in, in Milwaukee. But James, you know, we, we didn't really get to dive deep into the Celtics-Sixers game, and obviously we'll have more time in, in hour number two. We only have mm-hmm. one guest coming up in hour number two. Ross Jackson right at the top of the hour. But when you look at the breakdown of the Celtics' performance, I like to pay attention to the plus-minus statistic, Mm -hmm. which, you know, you score points. Obviously, there's pluses, rebounds, positive things that happen, negative things that happen. It fluctuates throughout the game. Every single starter for the Celtics finished with a positive Plus minus. Of at least 19. Correct. Robert Williams was plus 19. Jalen Brown was plus 25. Al Horford plus 24. Marcus Smart was plus 31. And Jason Tatum was plus 33. That's incredibly impressive. Jason Tatum, 17 of 28. 6 of 10 from downtown and 11 of 14 from the free throw line. He also had 5 assists and 13 rebounds to go along with his 51-point scoring. Leading scorer for the Sixers, 19 from Tobias Harris. Right, and Tobias, over the last couple of playoffs, he's kind of been inconsistent. Like Some games still put up 20, and you're like, okay, well, it's making sense on why you have this $30 million contract, and then there will be games where he scores single digits. But hey, man, don't let's let's not forget. Trust the process. Oh, Celtics trusted their process. Trust the process. Celtics absolutely trusted their process. Philly is sitting there going, 
Trust the process. This is all part of the process. We're going to go to the playoffs next year and lose in the second round again. At what point do you look at the process and go, this process isn't working? Because you have now become the choke team of the NBA. It's what you are. The Philadelphia 76ers are the team that you're going to... They're the Toronto Maple Leafs of the NBA. You're going to look at them when they get into the postseason and go, not if they're going to choke, but when. It's going to happen. Hour number one in the books. Hour number two, we're going to kick it off with Ross Jackson talking about Saints rookie minicamp and the weeks ahead for the black and gold. Plus, we'll talk Cajuns baseball, Tigers baseball, and McNeese baseball. Right here on the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. You're home for the LSU Tigers and the Houston Astros. You're clocked out. We're locked in. You're listening to Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's Sports Station. Hour number two of Crunch Time right here on the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Matt Miguez, James Mesh, broadcasting live from the FCO Development Studios in Upper Lafayette. FCO Development is a civil construction company that specializes in new multifamily construction. The game hotline is 337-706-0111. And here in Acadiana, you can watch us on the simulcast on Stadium 32.3, Channel 133 on LUS Fiber. In hour number one, we talked about college softball and the NCAA tournament that gets kicked off this weekend. We also talked about LSU baseball and the struggles that they had against Mississippi State. Here in hour number two, we're going to talk about the Cajuns sweeping Texas State over the weekend on the baseball diamond and much more. But let's start our number two talking about Saints minicamp. Who stood out? Who made an impact? Who may be disappointed? Ross Jackson, host of Locked On Saints, joins us here on the game hotline. Ross, what's going on, buddy? How are you? Hey, hey, brother. Doing great. Doing great. Thanks so much as always for having me on, man. Appreciate you. So what did you see out of minicamp this weekend? Obviously, almost all of the rookies were there. Kendra Miller wasn't able to participate due to his knee injury that he suffered at TCU. But what were you able to see out of out of the group? Yeah, look, I, I think it's important to mention that, you know, when it comes to minicamp, we're seeing, you know, and it comes to media access during that time, we're seeing a lot of throws on the air as well as, you know, one-on-one, or not even one-on-ones, but just sort of individual drills and stretch and things like that. So it's a little bit of a limited look, but it's a good way to get all of the kind of new guys acclimated with the building and, of course, the kind of programming that the Saints will do. But, you know, a couple of the guys that did end up standing out, I thought, you know, Jake Hayner, the Saints, um, you know, one of the Saints, you know, earlier selections in day three, uh, they traded up for him, the quarterback out of Fresno State. He was somebody that stood out. He, good ball placement, good fluidity, moves really well, turns his feet, moves laterally well, which is something that a quarterback of his stature kind of has to be able to do in order to be successful. But I think the thing that was most kind of impressive about watching him was just the timing, the precision. And, you know, look, we should keep in mind that this is with no defense, there's no pass rush, anything like that, but still just – Watching him locate passes and kind of be, you know, show what he could do precision-wise was great. Um, Shaq Davis, as well as Malik uh, Flowers, both of which are undrafted free agent wide receivers coming in, both shine that wide receiver. Um, Shaq Davis kind of pops right off the screen along with A.T. Perry because both these guys are like six foot four, so they're just the biggest guys out on the field. So they stand out quite a bit. And I really liked the uh, 
the play of Jordan Howden, the same safety that they selected out of Minnesota, um, throughout his time as well, working with guys like Joe Woods and uh, Marcus Robertson, talking through things during drills while he's backpedaling. I mean, just you could see the him being a student of the game. And I think that that's really those are the kinds of things that you're looking for to kind of see how these guys stand out during that time. And that's one of those kind of separating factors. How are they coachable wise? How are they with, you know, wanting to learn and sort of that hunger? You could certainly see that in Jordan Howden. Is there a reason, you know, I'm looking at the minicamp roster, is there a reason that Brian Brissy, Isaiah Foskey, and Jake Hayner still haven't signed contracts? No, I wouldn't be worried about that. I mean, it took Alante Taylor until, I think, right before training camp until he got his contract signed. Usually that happens because they're working on guaranteed money or something like that, some other clauses within the contract. It's very rarely actually an issue of any kind. It's just that sometimes it takes time to get all that language ironed out. And if you look at kind of, you know, a first-round selection, and even if you, if you look at, you know, Nick Saldaveri, who got his contract, the first selection of, of day three uh, for the Saints, they actually paid him above the uh, his, his pick schedule. And so there could be things like that, maybe that they're working out with some of these guys. And also, I wouldn't be too worried about it and everything. Um, you know, this can go all the way down until, you know, training camp begins and all that. And I'm sure that they'll take their time. What did you see out of Jake Hayner? I know you. I know you said the throws were really uncovered and and against the air, but from what I've seen on on social media, it looks like he had a really good weekend. Yeah, I mean, you know, look, he, he places passes well. He's a really precise thrower. He anticipates extremely well. Locates the ball where the receiver doesn't have to reach outside of their frame to be able to reel it in. It's a lot either at the face mask or at the numbers, things like that. I mean, you know, just a really precise passer. And, you know, look, he was he was passing while, uh, you know, up, not necessarily up against, but, you know, he was alternating throws with um, uh, Harrison Frost, the guy that was there as a, a trial quarterback. And, and there was a clear difference between the two, not to down-talk Frost's game or anything like that, but it's really just to kind of talk up. You know, Jake Hayner, like, he just separates himself in that way, um, you know, and I don't want to get crazy here. This isn't a situation where we need to be talking about Jay Kaner challenging for the same starting role or anything crazy like that. But, you know, I mean, this is the kind of guy that you want to see the Saints invest in and, you know, put their put some of their draft capital into to look at the opportunity to have a young quarterback in the building that they can help to develop and hope and, and maybe at some point if they have to, you know, turn to him, then hopefully he can keep a game alive or, or, or win a game for them if they ever have to do that. But, you know, I think that what you're seeing from him early is you see the intelligence, you see the preparation, you see the ball location, you see the accuracy, which are the things that have always set him apart while he was with the Bulldogs. What are your thoughts on the signing of James Washington uh, earlier today, the wide receiver from Oklahoma State that spent time with Pittsburgh and Dallas, you know, what does he bring to the Saints organization? And do you see him making the 53-man roster? Yeah, he's another deep downfield threat type of a guy. I mean, he's not, you know, the biggest body, but he comes in kind of built. I think um, uh, uh, Mike Dettelier kind of, you know, in his old scouting report when he was coming out of Oklahoma State mentioned that he was built like a running back. That's still very true, 5'11", over 210 pounds. And he's just kind of one of those guys where you could put the ball in his hand and he could do a little something for you after the catch. And maybe that's where the Saints kind of lack when it comes to wide receivers right now. They don't really have that yards after catch threat with the exception of, at, at the moment, um, you know, Rashid Shaheed. And so adding a guy like James Washington gives them an opportunity to be able to see if maybe that mold can fit when it comes to when they do make their 53-man roster cuts. Uh, in terms of whether or not he'll make that cut, that's going to come down to health. He struggled, you know, his 
he's battled health issues and he struggled to maintain his health with the Cowboys, struggled to maintain his health toward the end of his days with the Pittsburgh Steelers as well. But he's had some nice seasons and some nice moments, just five touchdowns just a couple of years ago. Uh, over 700 yards the year before that. So, you know, you can clearly see where this guy is, you know, incredibly talented and where he can contribute to a team. But I think, you know, for the Saints, the reason why I really like them bringing in a guy like James uh, Washington and signing him is that they're just not taking it easy. And, and, you know, this is kind of what the New Orleans Saints have done year in and year out is that they're not afraid to build on strength and they're not afraid to make sure that they have what they need. 2020, they had to, you know, take a major cut to the middle of their roster, their depth, things like that. We're watching them kind of over these last couple of years build that up. And I think James Washington could be a really valuable part of that as somebody that can be, you know, a, a second, third level threat for you, um, you know, if you ever needed to turn to him, which is a, a good spot to be when you're talking about depth on the team. Ross Jackson, host of Locked on Saints, joining us here on Crunch Time. Looking at the receivers, you know, you, you talked about A.T. Perry a little bit. You also talked about some of the undrafted guys with Malik Flowers, Shaq Davis, and, and a handful of others. Uh, what did you see out of the receiving group this weekend? Yeah, I think you saw a lot of, you know, just, uh, again, I mean, these are all rats on air, right? But But the thing that I think really you can kind of highlight is that for a guy like Malik Flowers in particular, you see him as kind of kind of being discussed as a, a kick returner, right? And, and understandably so. He had seven kick return touchdowns, which tied the FCS record, which is held, of course, by his now teammate Rashid Shahid when he was at Weber State. And you see a lot of those kick return guys, but you know Malik Flowers ran routes really well. He was pretty crisp, made a toe tap, you know, a kind of little toe tap grab over on the sideline uh, on one of the drills that they were working, one of the routes they had him run. And he catches everything with his hands, which sounds kind of you know ridiculous to say out loud. But you know you, you see a lot of guys that are premier kick returners that are asked to go out there and be wide receivers as well. And you see them take a lot of passes to the body and try to catch between their chest and their arms and kind of try to close up the way that you would bring in um, you know a kick return or, or, or a kick for a kick return. And you don't see that from him. He gets his hands out there. He's you know he's got he got a strong pair of hands, and we saw that a lot with. A lot of these guys didn't see a lot of balls hit the ground or anything like that, which, you know, they're not being contested or anything, but at least you're not seeing the concentration drops, the focus drops, things like that. I think only some maybe one or two passes hit the ground. One or two of them might have been, you know, off target as well. And so I think that, you know, you, you look at where this receiving core has continued to grow for New Orleans, and they're not afraid to take swings here, which makes a lot of sense because they've dealt with injury. They've dealt with not being able to keep players out on the field, and they've dealt with not having the right receiver for the right situation. So now they go into uh, this offseason, and as they head into OTA starting next week, um, they'll get into a place here to where they have a bunch of different types of wide receivers they could take a look at and then try to maximize whatever those skill sets are based upon how many of those guys they keep on the roster going into uh, or coming out of training camp and out of the preseason. What did Dennis Allen and Mickey Loomis have to say about the weekend and going forward with OTAs being next week? Yeah, they're excited. I mean, they're happy to be back out there. They love the group that they've got. Um, you know, Mickey mentioned that they felt really good about every single player that they selected throughout the draft, which it would be weird of him to say anything other than that. But I think you, you know, he doesn't have to say anything at all right. if he doesn't believe it, right? So for him to say that, it does, it does have some weight. And, um, I think you know for for DA like this is this is an important year for him uh, you know going into kind of that sort of rocky first year that kind of had its ups and downs and I think by all intents and purposes it it ended in about as high and up as it could without them making the playoffs unfortunately they couldn't win that last game uh, to close out the season but his defense played incredibly well during that game and so now you're looking at kind of this revamped offense where the team wants to go out there and be able to 
you know, compete and they feel really comfortable and good about the talent they have there, but they're far from done. I mean, I think that you're going to see some additional, you know, more additions coming up right now. They've got three kickers and two punters on the roster. I can't imagine that they'll keep all five of those guys going into training camp. So that means more spots are going to open up. They still have some spots open. I believe they have two more spots, maybe one more spot. They added uh, James Washington. They added the, uh, the offensive lineman from the uh, Houston Roughnecks, and then they added two other guys from their tryouts, including uh, Ellis Merriweather, who, who you know looked pretty good during his tryout yes uh, or Saturday when we saw them. Uh, and then they waved two, so they've got a couple of other spots that are still open, and more that will open up on the way. So I think they'll continue to add to that roster before they get to training camp for sure. Ross Jackson, host of Locked On Saints, joining us here on Crunch Time. You know, everybody's saying that the, the Saints aren't done. Uh, could be going sign more free agents or, or things like that. Uh, what what moves could you see the Saints making? What positions do you think they still need to attack? Well, I think linebackers still make sense for them. Um, they lost Caden Ellis. They haven't really been able to haven't really replaced with that Caden Ellis type um, yet. But maybe they don't necessarily need that Caden Ellis type. We'll see how they feel about guys like Zach Bond and Demarco Jackson and, and you know others that are already on the roster. They had two. Uh, pretty good undrafted free agents that they brought in, you know, highlighted, of course, by um, Nick Anderson from here at Tulane here in the city. And so, you know, I, I think that that's still a spot where they continue to add more talent. Um, and I think edge rusher is still a spot that makes sense to bring in another veteran, potentially a guy like Yannick Ngakwe always comes to mind uh, with him. I know a lot of folks uh, kind of mentioned Frank Clark as well, who played in kind of the 270, 260 area last year. But because of some of those off-field sort of issues that he's had, I don't know if that's something that the Saints are going to welcome into their locker room with all of the sort of culture drive that they've had over the course of this offseason so far. But I think those are the two spots that make the most sense, linebacker and, and defensive end. But, you know, I think uh, you can keep adding to the depth of the offensive line, too, and I don't think anybody would ever you know be upset with having too many offensive linemen on the roster that could potentially right. get some snaps for you. Ross Jackson, appreciate you as always, my man, um, and uh, we'll talk soon. It's a real pleasure, buddy. Thanks so much for having me on. Take care, stay safe, and I'll talk to you soon. And there he goes, Ross Jackson, host of the Locked on Saints podcast. Look, we, we didn't talk about the schedule with Ross, but, you know, uh, again, James, we, we, we did this last year, and we talked about the schedule, and we talked about I remember last year saying I felt like this team could win 12 games, and that backfired. They went 7-10. and 10. But I, I think I'm going to say it again. I think this team could win 10 to 12 games. It looks juicy. I mean, it, it looks like a very favorable schedule because you look at the records of the teams that they played last year. A lot of them were eight wins or less. The four teams that had a winning record, three of them only had nine with the one outlet. Outlander team right. being the Minnesota Vikings. But that team, they had 13 wins, but a lot of those wins were one score to a field goal, so it was like could very easily flip the other way, and they could for sure. lose three to four more games instead of three to four less. For sure. It's like they could they could easily be nine and eight or ten and seven themselves. Yeah, so you know, that that's the thing. You, you don't want to speculate about the, the schedule because it, it can come back to, to bite you if you're wrong. But the roster that has been constructed this offseason, and then you've get you get what is believed to be one of the easiest schedules in the league. It's hard to not say that you can't win ten games. It is tough because 
looking that at that should the, be the expectation. It, it should be because you feel like the roster improved a little bit. It also comes down to does the injury concerns pop up again in 2023 for the Saints like it has the last couple of years. God, I hope not. The thing that really stands out, though, is the quarterbacks. And I know it's like the whole team game. And there are plenty of good defense that the Saints have to play. Patriots are still good. I really, I really think the Carolina Panthers have one of the better defenses. I just haven't heard a lot of people talk about it. The Giants have a solid one. I think the Bucks still have some nice playmakers. So it's like there are teams here and there that have some pretty good defenses. And if they continue what they did last year where you worry about it with the coaching staff, whether it's the execution, being aligned correctly, running the right plays, like being able to get separation. Like that's what it comes down to. But looking at the quarterbacks, I mean, none of them really scare you. Right. At least most of them because – You'd believe it's Ryan Tannehill week one. It's either Bryce Young or Andy Dalton, which you struggle with rookie quarterbacks and you struggle with mobile quarterbacks. Neither one scare me. But then you play Jordan Love. You're not exactly sure what's going to happen with that with the Packers in week three. You play Baker Mayfield or Kyle Trask. Gross. Mac Jones with the Patriots. Gross. CJ Stroud more likely than not with the Texans in Mm. week six. The biggest one that would be scaring you is Trevor Lawrence Correct. with the Jags, and that's going to be on a Thursday night game. So that one's, that one's probably your biggest issue because then you go Colts with either Anthony Richardson or Gardner Minshew. Justin Fields probably scares you because of his running ability, and yeah. I feel like he kind of has that trajectory of what Jalen Hurts is going to do. I'm not saying he's going to be like the MVP and lead the – or be an MVP caliber quarterback and lead his team to the Super Bowl. But the Bears, I mean, I, I could see an improvement and Justin Fields an improvement as well. Minnesota Vikings, Kirk Cousins, probably the he's definitely up there. Desmond Ritter with the Falcons. The Lions with Jared Goff. Daniel Jones and still Matthew Stafford. And then you come back with the last couple of NFC South teams like this isn't the scariest QB golf. The only one that truly scares me is, is Trevor, Trevor Lawrence. Lawrence. So, and that's when you get Calvin Ridley added correct. to the roster. Correct. So that that's going to be interesting to see how those play out because, uh, again, it, it just feels like this is a schedule and a roster that can do a ton of good. But we'll take a timeout, 520 on your Monday. When we return, we'll talk Cajuns baseball and hear from head coach Matt Dex. This is Crunch Time on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Are you tired of your boring man cave? Well, if you are, the game 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles wants to hook you up with the ultimate man cave makeover built by Lafayette Marble and Granite. Sign up today in the clubhouse at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com for a chance to win a new recliner from Borderlands Furniture, flat screen TV from AVI, and more. It's the ultimate man cave makeover powered by Lafayette Marble and Granite and the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Let your voice be heard. Hello. Give us a call on the hotline at 337-706-0111 and speak your mind. Yellow. This is the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. 
Welcome back to Crunch Time 524. Matt Miguez, James Mesh. The game hotline is 337-706-0111. The Louisiana Raging Cajuns hosted senior weekend this weekend at MLT Moore Field, battled Texas State in a three-game series, and went a perfect three-for-three. In a series where you graduated at home plate on Saturday before the game, you had your senior day presentation after the game on Saturday, and then yesterday morning, your mom threw you a ceremonial first pitch. The Cajuns were able to absolutely dominate this series with the Bobcats when you needed it the most if you're the Cajuns. You went 7-3 on Friday. You went 9-5 on Saturday. You went 8-3 yesterday. Now you have three games remaining in the season. Those will be played at Pete Taylor Park in Hattiesburg, Mississippi against the top team in the Sun Belt in Southern Miss. Now, here's the thing. The Cajuns are now third in the Sun Belt Conference. I don't think they have a shot or prayer to get to first. I think they'd have to sweep Southern Miss and then Coastal would have to slip up. But it's not closed off. This sweep for the Cajuns this weekend against Texas State was huge. And I do not think that it has fully been realized yet just how big that that sweep is going to become for Louisiana. You got strong pitching. You got great hitting from your offense. And for once, instead of you giving free passes, you were the beneficiary of those free passes. Here's head coach Mad Dex. You know what? It finally happened to somebody else. Right? right? When have we seen that? Yeah. And we've had to work for everything we've gotten. And uh, one of their better arms, you know, uh, Dixon can really pitch. And it just wasn't his day. And uh, we were able to score, what, seven or I don't know how many, six with two outs. And that was that was gigantic right there because we already had momentum. Kind of gave it back early, right? And give them, make them think they're in it. And uh, they were. And uh, we were able to come. And two outs has been our thing all year and uh, get those runs. I like the way we really we had to match up out of the bullpen today. And I thought, for the most part, Moody, uh, Couch, Etheridge, uh, I thought they all came in. Marshall got a couple outs. Uh, and to get it to, to Coop, who was just fantastic. Matt Deggs also talked about how his defense and his pitching never let Texas State get the big hit that they needed. That was the key to the entire series is I don't know, Kev, that they ever got the big hit uh, this weekend. And uh, we, we did a tremendous job with runner at third, less than two, uh, leaving two out base runners on base, as well as we've done all year. And, and uh, I think our ballpark had something to do with that. They're, they're used to their ballpark, and uh, they, they play extremely well. This ballpark played real big. It's a testament, you know, to Jews' ball in the last inning there. Uh, it played big this weekend. It's that time of year where you get the heavy south wind and, uh, you know, a bunch of balls got. Matt Deggs also talked about Jerry Glasgow and the UL softball team. Yeah, what they've done is incredible. Uh, 
you know, and there's a, there's a certain amount of pressure that goes with a streak like that, right? And uh, so I have an appreciation for their ability to sustain that success on a national level, not just in the league, but on a national level, because that, trust me, that type stuff, I've been in a lot of streaks, not to that magnitude, with theirs is crazy, but there's a lot of pressure that comes with it. So, you know, even more of a hats off to the coaches and team for being able to play under that type heat and scrutiny and, and maintain that that Regional appearance for Jerry Glasgow's program not just under his watch, but the Louisiana softball program as a whole, James, they will be making their 24th consecutive appearance in a regional. That's absurd. You've also won 40 games this season, which is the benchmark in baseball slash softball. That's the mark of a good season. You win 40 games, you had a year. The Cajuns have now won 40 or more win, forty or more games for 24 consecutive seasons. I mean, that's impressive. It's insane. It's insane what this group has been able to accomplish, and it's really cool that Mad Degs spent some time to talk about it following the Cajun sweep over the weekend, and now you got to shift focus to the Golden Eagles in Hattiesburg. That is not going to be an easy series. Pete Taylor Park is a very tough place to play. Um, ask LSU. It's not easy. Um, that They are a very good baseball team. They're a very well-coached baseball team, and their fans are going to let you have it for nine innings. They're, it, it's a tough environment. Um, so you're going to have to block out the noise, do what you did this weekend, limit free passes, maybe benefit from some, and take advantage of runs where you could get them. Because you saw a lot of instances this weekend where you would have guys you know, get a single maybe a double, and you saw back-to-back sack bunts after that just to get the run in. Sometimes you got to do it that way. You got to sacrifice two outs for the run because it, it could be one of those games where, you know, it, it might only be one nothing. It might be two to one. That run's going to make a big difference. So don't be surprised if the Cajuns get in situations this weekend where they've got a runner in scoring position with nobody out and you just start bunting them over. Take runs where you can get them, no matter how you can get them. 5.30, almost 5.31, we'll take a timeout here when we return. Hear from Dennis Allen and the rookies from minicamp this weekend. A.T. Perry, Jake Hayner, Kendra Miller, Nick Salvaderi, and Isaiah Foskey right here on The Game. They could debate who should win the MVP, but they'd rather argue who has the best hair in sports talk radio. We just washed the hair. You know, I worked on my hair a long time, and you you hit it. It hits my hair. Now back to more of the stylish crunch time with Miguez and Mash here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back, 535, almost 536. Matt Miguez, James Mesh. Once again, broadcasting inside the FCO Development Studios here in Upper Lafayette. The game hotline is 337-706-0111. James, what were your thoughts on rookie minicamp this weekend? Obviously, you saw it from afar. 
You, you, right, you, I wish I was saw, there. You saw what was discussed on social media, but what, I mean, what were your what were your takeaways? I mean, it's kind of hard to take away stuff from mini camp, from rookie mini camp, when there's not a lot of hitting. Okay, so what did there's you a, what did you like about what you read slash saw? I mean, I like that Jake Hanner was throwing some nice passes, and that At Perry was catching a bunch of them. This guy loves some At Perry. Oh man. At At Perry, next legend. The, the next that's some big words. That's that's some high praise right there. The next first you compare him to Marcus Colston, then you say he's the next legend. Well, look Oof. when you're At Perry, you're just you're just a beast. You're just a beast. That's right. Now. You talked about A.T. Perry. Kendra Miller obviously couldn't do a whole heck of a lot because of his no. knee injury. And that's, and that's what sucks is some, you just weren't able to see someone like him play or like be out there. The clips that I saw of Brian Brissy and Isaiah Foskey were very encouraging because they looked like prototypical New Orleans Saints defensive linemen. And that was really refreshing to see out of guys that have just gotten into New Orleans and are still learning how the organization runs. Head coach Dennis Allen talked about the fact that everything is being evaluated right now when you look at the Saints. I think everything's being evaluated, you know. Um, and so uh, we're all... Look, everything that we do is is based on, you know, how are we going to be the best version of ourselves that we can be when we get to uh, the season. And so uh, in doing that, everything that we do from a coaching standpoint, from a playing standpoint, everything's being evaluated. And, you know, we got to see what we do, you know, really well. Um, and those will, those will be the things that we'll focus on as we get into the season. James, in your opinion, what's the purpose of rookie minicamp? Just kind of, you know, Getting the young players acclimated to the team, how the organizations run, like st- start them off early with the playbooks, get, get them used to the plays at least a little bit, the system. I'm interested to hear what Dennis Allen says is the purpose of rookie minicamp. Uh, look, uh, the, the primary thing right now is just get base fundamentals and, and, and just a basic uh, knowledge of our scheme and what we're doing. Um, and then a lot of the, a lot of the work that we're doing in this in this rookie minicamp is is uh, skill development, technique oriented. Uh, there's there's you know we we really basically had about eight plays a seven on seven, about eight plays a team. So it's not really a, a, a team deal as much as it is. We got a lot of meetings, uh, get them kind of accustomed to what it's like being in an NFL uh, organization, and, uh, and and really get get. A lot of work on you know fundamentals and technique. Wow, James, let me let me tell you something. If for some reason this job never works out for you, <laughs> go be a coach. Just go be a coach. Go be a coach. I mean, that you, was that you, was kind of pretty much word for word. You <laughs> said what he just said, right? I mean, it helped that I was the one who cut up the audio. Well, but yeah, you cheated a little bit. Yeah, but but I mean, I remember when. I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do. First, I wanted to be a player. But then I was like, I mean, coaching would be fun. This man wanted to be the next A.T. Perry. 
I want. I did. No, I want it to be the next Jerry Rice. This guy hates the 49ers, but loves, loves Jerry, Jerry Rice. Rice. And I know Foot hates that. Oh yeah. But hey, he hates that I like Elijah Mitchell. But you know, I mean, hey, it is. I wouldn't buy a Jerry Rice jersey though. You see, that's where you and I differ. <laughs> I have an Elijah Mitchell Niners jersey, and I wear that oh, with pride. Oh, I still have the pictures. With pride. Dennis Out also talked about the signing of Foster Moreau, the New Orleans native and former LSU Tiger, returning to New Orleans. Well, look, we, we uh, only had him here for you know, a couple of days. I like the addition. I like the person. I like the player. He's got some versatility. He can play both in line and in a move position. Uh, he's smart. He's tough. You know, he's a lot of the characteristics that we look for in in, uh, in Saints players. So uh, I think he'll be a good addition. I like the fact that, you know, Derek has some familiarity with him. So this New Orleans Saints offense now has Derek Carr, Alvin Kamara, mm-hmm. Jamal Williams. Yeah. Kendra Miller. Correct. Michael Thomas, Chris Olave, A.T. Perry, Rashid Shaheed, Traquan Smith, James Washington, Taysom Hill, Foster Moreau and Jawan Johnson. What? That's nasty. Like, like we said, the biggest concern is the injuries and how fast does everyone get acclimated with one another? If this group stays healthy and some way, somehow, this team doesn't make the playoffs. I think you have to move on from Dennis Allen. Because here's my thing. You can like the guy all you want. But at the end of the day, it comes down to wins. And I don't necessarily disagree because it's always kind of like a back and forth of, well, the coach, they haven't necessarily won early on in their stint with whatever team they're with. But then also people are like, well, I mean, if you're going to fire them after the first or second year, you're really not giving them a whole hell of a lot of time to like kind of put their whole imprint on everything. It's like, I, it's kind of like the same thing with coaches in college. It's like, you're not going to fire Brian Kelly if it doesn't work, if it's not like national championship or bust after the first year, or if you're a top 10 team or after the second year. Well, he, he bought himself some time by going 10-2 and two and making the SEC championship game in year Absolutely. one. Absolutely. But, like, you get what I'm saying. You're not going to fire a head coach more likely than not after the first couple of years, even if it doesn't look the best to start off. My thing is, though, is he, if he can't win with this team, if this team stays healthy and he can't win, is he going to be able to win with anybody? I mean, what more, what more do you want out of an offense? I mean, these are, these are definitely young pieces that have a lot of potential. Because you liked what you saw to Chris Olave. You feel like he's going to be one of the next stars in this league. Alvin Kamara, even though he's going to have the suspension and you've had him had a couple of injuries here and there yep. throughout the last couple of years, you still feel like he's one of the better backs in the league. You got some youth with that. You got the touchdown leader from last year in Jamal Williams. It's just you've got a lot of individual nice pieces. Correct. But can they come together and be something even greater? That's that's the big thing. Hopefully. Because, God, I'm tired of seeing the Saints miss the playoffs or struggle in the playoffs. I, I want I want to see a run. 
It's time. It's time for this team to make another run. But anyways, getting back to rookie minicamp. A.T. Perry, the sixth-round pick with a third-round grade. Never going to get over that, by the way. Uh, said, plain and simple, he's a baller. I'm a playmaker. I'm a baller, you know. I'm, I'm here for a reason. Uh, I feel like God brought me here for a reason, so I'm happy with it. You know, I'm, I'm excited to be here and just show everybody what I can do. So, Damn straight. I'm a baller. I'm a playmaker. I'm a baller. God put me here for a reason. Mm-hmm. I like I it. I like it. And it, it, it works so well because when he had first talked to the Saints media, he was saying like he's a quiet guy. That's why he was confused on why he dropped so far because of his quote-unquote character issues. Well, if he's super quiet, has he got the character issues? But with him being quiet, he reminds me not only of the play of Marcus Colson, but the Marcus, mentality. the mentality and like his overall personality. For sure, for sure. Isaiah Foskey, the second-round pick for the defensive end position, was asked what did he like about the situation that he's in now in New Orleans? I like this, the whole defensive style, like D-line style as well, because my position, you play three-tech, four-I, five-nine. You basically play everywhere. Pretty much sets you up for any matchup that they have a going, have you going against. You just pitch your right position. Nick Saldaveri on the offensive line talked about what he's been able to pick up so far with the Saints. Yeah, it's been really good. Um, Coach Marone does a really good job of making things easily digestible for players. And I feel like I'm doing something completely different than I've done in college. And I've done a solid job being able to pick things up on the fly and kind of just put things together and piece things together in the offense and understand what my role is. And, um, yeah, we're just taking it one day at a time. And it's obviously only day two, but it's going good. Now, the draft pick that I'm probably most excited about is Kendra Miller, the running back out of TCU. Uh, we, we talked about him before. You know, he can do a lot of things that Alvin Kamara can do. Uh, he he's a little faster, little little more of a of a bruiser. Um, and, and you know, people talk about you know he he didn't show much of his ability to catch the football. Doesn't mean that he can't. No, nah, it was just something I, you know, I never got to show. And, you know, the coaches here, they, they got me on the jugs and, and tennis ball machine. That was like, you know, we, we knew it was in you. That's why we drafted you. Like, we know you can catch. So just showing everybody else in the world uh, my ability will be a big thing for me, and I'm uh, ready to get out there and compete. But, Kendra, I'm wondering, how you feeling? I feel great. You know, I feel great. But, you know, the, the doctors, I kind of got to, you know, tone it down and be like, you're not ready for that yet. But uh, that's just the competitiveness in me. And so, yeah. What's kind of the target day? Like training camp maybe? Or? Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, expect to be ready by training camp. This guy's so proud of himself with his transition right there. Hey, that was He's <laughs> he's so proud of himself. That was fire. That was 10 out of 10. Oh, my God. Jake Hayner, the fourth-round quarterback who, look, I'm going to be honest. When I saw that he was getting drafted by the Saints, I said, what the hell are the Saints doing? But now that I've read into him, looked at some tape, and also looked at his weekend in Metairie, I'm pleased. He talked about how there's a lot on our plate. Yeah, I mean, I think the install's been pretty heavy. I mean, they're putting a lot on our plate. Uh, obviously not putting the kills, the checks in, but... You know, I just think I'm trying to get used to the pro game, the verbiage, the terminology, how different it is from what I was doing at Fresno State. Uh, I know that this level does not translate over from the college level. So just trying to get better, trying to learn, grow, and like I said, just get better every day. That'd be tough. 
If because already come on, already having to say one verbiage of one play by itself. Correct. That's that's a mouthful by itself. Correct. But with the kill kill, that's whenever you're saying this is the first play. This is what we're calling. But Sean and Drew used to do two play calls, and it's like, look, if we don't like this first play, kill kill, we're gonna go to the second one. So right. doing both already, that'd be tough. So I'm glad Dennis isn't trying to do they're, all they're, that right they're, away. They're they're holding off on the on the on the kills, but. I have a feeling that they're going to be coming in very soon. Um, look, you know, I, I think that this is a good rookie class for New Orleans. I, I think that there's a lot of potential, a lot of promise. Last question I'll ask before we take a timeout and wrap up today's show. James, the, the, the question's for you. Is Jake Hayner... I, I very small sample size, so I don't expect you to have like tons of insight here in your opinion from what you have seen, read, heard, whatever. Could Jake Hayner be the quarterback of the future for the New Orleans Saints? I think there is potential. I think it it really depends on the first couple of years that he's the backup. I'm I'm wondering, does he progress so well and so fast? that you feel so comfortable to put him as the backup and then potentially move on from Jameis Winston and like see if he can get anything out of it. I don't know. I don't know about all that like right away, but I think there is a potential. I think he's the backup starting week one. Cause look, here's the thing. There's going to be a team that needs Jameis Winston, whether it's a backup or a starter. What if they send him back to Tampa? Oh, God. Oh, God. And somebody will pay you a, a, a fourth. A fourth rounder. And if you're the Saints, wow, we get to get that money off the books and get a fourth rounder? Phew, done. Shake hands. Thank you very much. If Jake Hayner progresses like people have said that he could, then I, I think he's the backup in September. And I'm not complaining about that at all. Two Fresno State quarterbacks? It's all right with me. We'll take a timeout, wrap up today's show right after this. This is Crunch Time on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. If you want to take your lady out for a nice dinner, but you're running a little low on cash, the Game Clubhouse can help you out with your date night blues. Join the Rewards Club to score an opportunity for excellent prizes like a $150 gift certificate to Mr. Lester's Steakhouse and a $25 gift certificate to Mabel's Kitchen, both located at Cypress Bayou Casino Resort. The only way you can score these great prizes, though, is by joining the Game Clubhouse at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com. It's free. It's simple. So go sign up today. From the Louisiana Raging Cajuns to the latest with the New Orleans Saints and Pelicans, Miguez and Mesh cover it all. I'm not worried. Uh, I think it's something that I can get under control. Now back to more Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. All right, James, real quick. Matt Ryan joining CBS Sports as an analyst. Your thoughts are blank. He'd probably have some good insight like we've seen with, you know, with Sean Tony, Payton and other Tony Romo. Tony Romo. Like there's there's plenty of guys, Greg Olson, like giving good insight from being a former player themselves. I think it'd be 
It'd probably be a pretty good gig for him. <laughs> I'm springing a hockey question. On Boomer Esiason. I'm springing a hockey question on you now. Game seven between the Kraken and the Stars in Dallas tonight. Dallas is a minus 205 favorite. Who you got? The Stars. You got the Stars? I wish. You're taking the Kraken? I'm going to go with the Kraken. Mm. They looked too good in game six. I think they're just going to roll right into game seven and take game seven as well. Um, Dallas has a bright future, but... I just don't think that this is the year. Thanks to our guests, Justin McLeod and Ross Jackson, for joining us today. Come back tomorrow for another edition of Crunch Time right here on the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. For James Mesh, I'm Matt Miguez. Be safe, be well, give a hug to your mom and them, and we're back tomorrow right here on the game, your home. For the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion, Houston Astros, 40 minutes away from Astro Launch right here on the game.